welcome to the Full Capacity Living Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bush. As a board-certified integrative and functional medicine health coach, I work with physicians and clients across the country to create healthy habits that stick. The mission of this podcast is to empower you, the listener, to take charge of your own health and to shift the healthcare paradigm one conversation at a time. Each episode digs deep into health and wellness informed through the lens of integrative and functional medicine. I talk to those in the trenches doing the work and sharing ideas. You will hear from cutting-edge leaders and everyday people making the world and our lives better each moment through nutrition, mindfulness, gut health, spirituality, movement, and so much more. Are you living up to your full capacity? Well, stay here, have a listen, and maybe expand your world a little bit. Now on to this week's show. So here we are, the first episode for the Full Capacity Living Podcast. I'm super excited, and my guest, Dr. Heather Mode, is here to launch this endeavor with me. Heather received her medical degree from Tulane Medical School in New Orleans. She completed a residency in internal medicine and a fellowship in allergy and immunology, but then went on to complete a fellowship in integrative medicine with the Arizona Integrative Medicine Program and is board certified in integrative and holistic medicine. She also completed her functional medicine training with the Institute for Functional Medicine and the Kalish Functional Medicine Fellowship. She started the Mode Center for Functional and Integrative Medicine back in 2014 in Philadelphia. Today, we dig into her background a little bit, her residency in immunology and how important that is as it connects to functional medicine, the journey into functional medicine for her, and then a deep dive into the immune system balance, whole body terrain health, Supporting your immune system from environmental toxins, viruses, total toxin burden, all the lifestyle changes and microbiome shifts that can be made with functional medicine. Really a great conversation, and I'm excited to have you here listening. Well, welcome, Heather. I'm super excited to have you here on uh, what is the first show of Full Capacity Living Podcast. So, yeah. Well, I feel really special that I get to be the first guest. <laughs> well, I think it's going to be a special uh, show. So um, I want to start out just kind of, well, first of all, I'm going to say um, you and I work together. Um, I'm a health coach in your practice and um, really enjoy doing that. But just getting that out there, I wanted to have you introduce yourself. Just tell me a little bit about your background. And, you know, I'm kind of curious, not that we're going to do a timeline here, but um I wanted to find out just, you know, did you always want to be a physician and where did that come from and kind of your journey to where you are right now? Yeah, I don't know if I always wanted to be a physician, you know, like as a kid. I think I always liked science. I always liked playing in the dirt and uh, that was my thing, right? I liked, um, you know, I liked biology. I really loved biology. It was my favorite in high school. I was a biology major in college. And, you know, I sort of thought maybe I'll be a doctor, but I didn't really have tremendous aspirations. Mm -hmm. um, but I think somewhere along the line, I, I actually did a stint in research 
after college in a, a pretty prestigious lab in New York City. And what I realized is that I really liked science, but I really didn't like doing research. <laughs> I didn't love the bench research, the basic research. It just wasn't, you know, what I was interested in. I preferred, you know, sort of more of that people contact and, and, and uh, learning medicine. So that sort of sent me off in that direction. So I ended up in medical school two years after that and loved it. Like medical school was one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah. I know some people find medical school pretty onerous and of course it's hard and it's difficult, but I was completely like so happy. I loved everything I learned. I, I loved where I went to school. I liked my classmates. I mean, I just thought it was a blast, even though it was yeah. really, you know, I had to study all the time, but I, I found it so fascinating. So, well, you did go to Tulane, right? They go to Tulane, which doesn't stink. <laughs> doesn't stink. That is a really awesome city because, you know, and, and frankly, I wonder if we actually were there at the same time because I started my work as a medical speech pathologist at Turo um, uh -huh. Rehab Hospital. That's um, so interesting. Yeah, I was there from 19, you know, so I'm going to age myself here. Um, I was there from 1995 to 1998. Okay. And, um, you know, New Orleans is just such an amazing, wonderful city. The people, the culture, the food, the yeah. weather. I mean, just, yeah. you can't beat it. So if you're going to be struggling in medical school, it's <laughs> wonderful that you can wear flip-flops and shorts most of the year. And that when you do have downtime, you know, you can go have a blast. And, right, uh, right, right. You're right was, across from Audubon Park. and It's yeah. just beautiful. And uh, I had a really great class of super creative people, which I think not always the case in medical school, but I think they really look for that. And it was just a special time. Oh, I love that. So, so really exciting time for you to, to kind of get into medicine. And then once you finished your, your medical training um, in school and you did your residency, tell me a little bit about how you got into um, immunology and allergy. Yeah, so I started as an internist. I really liked just adult internal medicine. I probably knew that I wasn't going to be a generalist. It's just not my thing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really was a little bit, um, I would say, I didn't really know what I was going to do, quite honestly. And so I ended up in New York City to do my internal medicine you know, work. And it was really hard. I can't say I felt the same about my residency as I did about medical school. In fact, I would say I pretty much did not like it. And part of it was where I was in the program. And part of it was just, I don't know, it was, it was really hard. And, you know, I'm a pretty resilient, tough person, but um, it takes a lot out of you. Uh, but I knew at that point, I wanted to do something more specialized, I really started getting interested in uh, rheumatology was the first thing that really got me into the immune system. You know, I had, you know, done that sort of uh, stint you know, post-college, which was actually in a psychoneuroimmunology lab. So oh, I yeah. had some exposure to, you know, how the brain affects, you know, how stress, how that affects our hormones and how that affects our immune system. So I'd had that, you know, sort of uh, in my life. And I really loved rheumatology. I didn't really know much about straight up immunology and allergy. Mm -hmm. 
because it wasn't really talked about in medical school. It wasn't really talked about that much. We didn't really do rotations in it. And I ended up having the opportunity just to do a elective, you know, month. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And, um, I just like sort of kismet. I, I ended up doing this rotation. I got along really well with the program director. He said, "Listen, I'm I'm deciding on my fellow for next year, and I really think you should apply." And I said, "Okay." So I did, and like I think he sort of just was like, "I really like working with you, and you're in." You know, yeah, I was very yeah. lucky, <laughs> and I sort of landed this great fellowship position. So, you know, that's how I. Um, sort of fell into it and you know, was there for two years and then moved to Philadelphia after that. It sounds like that reignited your spark. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little, I think, rudderless uh, uh, in, in yeah. internal medicine. I sort of, you know, I liked a lot of different things, but there was nothing that really, you know, called, called me out. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, having that specialty, I think um, helps you to like be able to dig a little bit deeper and just kind of, really have, like you said, a rudder, but a path towards, mm-hmm. you know, really looking deeper into things. So, yeah. and then how did you end up where you are now, integrative mm-hmm. and functional medicine? Yeah, I guess that's a much longer story, but I'll, I'll make it very brief. I, you know, after medical school, you're just excited to quite honestly have a paying job because I mean, <laughs> they pay you as a resident, but it's sort of like slave labor. Yeah. When you calculate how much money you make per hour, it's probably like, you know, 25 cents. So I was just really looking for a job in allergy and I thought, okay, I'll just find a private practice. Allergy practices are not generally hospital based because they're not, they're all outpatient. So I ended up with a private practice and, you know, thought, okay, well, this is like what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. And I think, you know, about three to five years in, I just started to get bored. Quite honestly, I, felt like, you know, all of like the wow of medicine and the discovery and, and all that, the curiosity was just gone, you know, because basically um, it was a lot of filing papers and a lot of insurance stuff, which I know happens in a lot of medical practices, but a lot of pharmaceutical applications. There wasn't like a lot of figuring out why people were sick. And I thought, well, that was really sort of why, you know, that sort of curiosity, that spark was really why I was in medicine in the first place. I wasn't really learning anything. Um, So, you know, I went, you know, I was bored. So I was, you know, (laughs) and I went to an IHS meeting in New York City, um, probably, I don't remember what year, but uh, that was, uh, that's the Integrative Health Symposium. Mm -hmm. The wonderful, wonderful um, integrative, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, meeting. And that was the first time I was introduced to the concept, really, of functional medicine. I had, you know, I had Dr. Andrew Weil's book, and I did end up going to his, his yeah. you know, doing that fellowship for two years. But yeah. at this conference, I I heard Dr. David Perlmutter speak. I heard Mark Hyman speak. Um, yeah, all the big names. All these real big leaders in functional medicine. I thought, well, what is this? But I realized that it was like, wow, this is like, I found my tribe, right? This is... Um, this is really more of what, you know, what I want to be doing. So, you know, I spent the next couple of years sort of inching towards that, you know, um, you know, thinking about how can I do this? It's really scary to sort of just, you know, 
jump from your job and start doing this kind of stuff. So that didn't happen. I, you know, I, you know, I spent the next couple of years going to conferences, doing a fellowship and just trying to learn, you know, how I could eventually maybe do this on my own. Yeah. And I know that, that brain health is a really, um, a big piece of it. And you mentioned Dr. Perlmutter. I wonder, is that kind of where that spark kind of took hold in terms of like, um, really, having that interest in brain health as it relates to integrative and functional medicine. Yeah, I think I've always been sort of very interested in brain health. It's one of like, I wouldn't say it's a niche of mine because I'm certainly not a specialist really, but it's always been a real interest in how everything from what we eat to, you know, where we live and what we're exposed to and our genetics and how that shapes our brain health, not only just, how our brain ages, but even how our brain just works in terms of mood disorders and ADD and all this kind of stuff. So I think I've always been sort of fascinated with that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, his work is amazing and a lot of other people like him, you know, Dr. Bredenson, obviously, yeah. who um, uh, wrote The End of Alzheimer's. So, you know, and of course, as I've gotten older, <laughs> and when I realize the implications of brain disease, just in general, I think it's something that's always sort of like front of my mind. Yeah, yeah. And so now you, you know, as you said, you didn't just jump into this private practice, but you kind of slowly worked on training and gaining the knowledge that you needed. And You've moved into now the Mode Center, which tell me a little bit about that. We'll put some of that information in the show notes, but um, just you know, kind of introduce that for you. Yeah, well, I really didn't know what I was going to do with my fellowship training. I had finished my integrated fellowship training and you know met some really amazing people, but many of them were very lucky in that they were working maybe in hospitals or in organizations that were sometimes even funding their fellowship, but they could go back and they could take the things that they learn and apply them in the setting that they were already in. And that's not something that I could do. You know, my, in fact, (laughs) to be completely honest, my practice didn't even know I was doing this. I was like doing it on the fly, um, my weekends and holidays and things. So, you know, and I just knew that, you know, sort of our belief systems didn't really um, coincide. <laughs> Didn't really meld. Yeah, it was not. I, was, yeah. 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 I knew that I was going to have to change um, the location and the place. And, you know, geographically, I didn't really want to leave Philadelphia, which is, you know, my home right now. Mm-hmm. And um, there wasn't really another practice that could take me in at the time. You know, Philadelphia is a little bit old school when it comes to medicine. You know, we have the oldest hospital in the country. We're very entrenched in, yeah. you know, yeah. medicine here. So there wasn't really opportunity. So I knew that I was either going to have to move or do something myself. Yeah. And, you know, that was really scary because at least my age group, we didn't learn about medicine. I mean, we didn't learn about the business of medicine. There wasn't a lot of entrepreneurship. It was sort of like you become a doctor, get a job, you stay in that job. And um, that's the end of the story. So I had to literally figure out and bootstrap everything, which was extremely stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at times I really was very fearful and really thought I was going to fail and, you know, went through the whole gamut of emotions mm-hmm. in terms of starting something. And, um, you know, I just kept saying like, this is what I want. You know, I tried to keep the goal in mind and just know that I had to, I had to take a risk in order to try to reap a reward. 
board. So I just really built it bit by bit. Tried to learn from people, you know, other practitioners, watch webinars, watch, you know, listen to podcasts and really just sort of cobble everything together. So, yeah, so it's been six years and, um, you know, we're still a small practice. It's just me and, of course, my wonderful virtual health coaches. And um, <laughs> I have an amazing uh, function, I mean, integrative uh, nutritionist, yeah. Haley. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's it's small, but it, it works. Uh, we have great clients. And, and it's, it's feeding your soul. It's really in alignment with what it is that you want to do. I mean, and I think, you know, sometimes coming to this, um, you know, a lot of people in functional medicine um, really have a personal story around it as well, just like you do. Um, you know, not happy where you were, not feeling fulfilled, not feeling like you were continuing to learn, but also maybe feeling like, you know, my patients aren't really getting better. I'm just kind of yeah. giving them medications or I'm doing something that's kind of a Band-Aid. Um, and I know like that our topic today is really immune health and individuality, which is something that you've been, you know, obviously your, your immunology background um, coupled with functional medicine in this unprecedented time that we have right now in our world is incredibly important, right? Um, and I, I think we do want to kind of get into that a little bit. Um, but I also think what's interesting is you talking about the entrepreneurship piece. My, my husband, actually, that's his whole world. And so I hear it 24-7. And it's, yeah. it's true, like you said, it, you know, I took a risk. But you actually took kind of a calculated risk because you had the background. You saw other people doing functional medicine. You knew people wanted it. Mm-hmm. You knew that the the... the you know, patients were out there looking for it. It's just kind of fixing, fixing the the, the world that you needed to kind of put together um, as part of that practice. So, mm-hmm. um, we're, this isn't a podcast about entrepreneurship, so we're not going to go in there. But I love hearing that kind of a story. Yeah, exciting for a lot of people. I, I know a lot of people kind of moving into their own private practice, which I did as well. Yeah, um, beautiful. So. So let's kind of move into the world of, of functional medicine, um, your specialty of the immune system and individuality. Um, you know, COVID is not, you know, obviously it's not something we can um, ignore. It's right here in front of us on a daily basis. But um, so we'll mention a little bit about that. But let's just kind of get to the basics of, you know, the immune system. And you talk a lot about balancing, not boosting. So tell me what you, your, your thoughts on the immune system, what it does and how to do that. So I think the immune system is like the final frontier, right? Dun, dun, dun. It really is. And I talk about this, that, and I'm, you know, even though I'm an immunologist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much that I don't know. There's so much that other immunologists that do research all the time don't know. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, you know, I had one immunology course in medical school, one, Wow. you know, like as part of that's it one month or or, I guess maybe a semester and that's it. Wow. You don't really learn anything else unless as, you know, as part of your scholarship or something, you go into, you know, transplant surgery or maybe hematology and you learn about, you know, immunology, blood cells, et cetera. But that's sort of where it ends. That's amazing. I'm surprised. 
even most physicians have a very sort of cursory education on the immune system. And that's not their fault, and it doesn't mean that, you know, they can't read more on it. But, you know, they have other priorities and things. Super complicated, too. And, well, that's the thing. It is probably the most complicated system in the body. Maybe that's so, why you only have a month. <laughs> so you're dealing with not a lot of knowledge, and then it's just everywhere, right? So our immune system dictates everything in our body. And so there's this huge sort of, and, and another thing is that it's a, it's a relatively new science. Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't really start even sort of naming the immune system or, or talking about it probably to like the late 1800s. I mean, there were things wow. before that talked about like, you know, say like the germ theory, like uh, Pasteur and, and people like that, like Edward Jenner, who gave the first cowpox inoculation. Yeah. But he didn't really know what was going on, right? It yeah. wasn't until probably the late 1800s that we people actually looked under a microscope and were like, "Oh yeah, this is like this is the this is an immune yeah. issue, right?" So, you know, fast forward this, you know, in the past, just say like a hundred years, we have been moving at warp speed. From the time I last took my my immunology boards, there's probably like I don't know, 80 more proteins or cytokines or things that I didn't learn about then, right? Wow. That, you know, yes. so it's just constantly rapidly evolving. So that's another thing. It makes it really yeah. complex. But I mean, we don't have to know all the complexities of it. There's just sure. a lot of, there are some basic things that are important to understand when people are thinking about their health. And that's what I obviously try to hone in on. Like, what can we actually control? You know? Exactly. So the immune system in, in terms of individuality and um, what you see in terms of, of people coming to your office, um, this, the, you know, the audience for this podcast is really, um, in my mind, people who are looking for information around this. What can I do personally for myself? Mm -hmm. What can I do, um, you know, from a, a, a deeper perspective from the medical world? So when you, you know, you've launched a couple of things over this COVID period that helped people understand the immune system and what they might be able to do. Um, so talking about that balancing and not boosting, um, what's your thought yeah. on that? Yeah. So when it, you know, there, that's just something that gets thrown around a lot because it's, it's like a buzzword, right? Boost. Yeah. So I try not to use it yeah. because when we talk about our immune system, there are times that we want it to be very active, mm -hmm. right? Sort of active and almost aggressive in a way. And that would be when we want to kill things because the sole, really the sole um, reason for our immune system to exist is to protect our body from outside pathogens, so viruses, parasites, you know, bacteria, of course, anything that could potentially damage or kill us. Sure. That is really the whole point. Or also to heal, you know, to if we have a cut or a wound, things like that. So that's the whole point. So we certainly want our immune system to be able to ramp up and be boosted during those periods of time to kill things. But then we want the immune system to calm down and we like to use the word resolve. So resolve the inflammation and sort of go back to a nice 
baseline when it's just sort of like surveilling you know, the environment for things that we might have to attack again and get inflamed. Yeah. So this idea, I, I think, I think it's just a, it's, I think people use the word boost incorrectly when really they might mean like strengthen or make more balanced or make more efficient. I think an efficient immune system is really probably a better term to use. So I talk about that because there are people who already are very inflamed. They are in a chronically low level inflamed state. They don't really need to be boosted per se. They might need to be misdirected. I mean, to be redirected, sort of calmed down. Same with autoimmune disease, same with allergies. So a lot of these states are already sort of a hyperreactive or misdirected inflamed state. So, you know, we're not really boosting that. <laughs> you don't want to boost something yeah. in the wrong direction. So that's why I like to use the term balance instead. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And I think um, one of the key points I think there is that there are people kind of walking around, not feeling like they're sick, but there's this low level inflammation that's just kind of bubbling around. And that Absolutely. puts them at more risk when something comes around. So kind of talk a little bit about how you know, our bodies have viruses in them, right? Absolutely. That kind of lie dormant. And we, good vi- we have some good viruses too. Uh, right? Yeah, we do, right? <laughs> um, good viruses and, and bad viruses. Yep. And good bacteria, bad bacteria, all that kind of stuff. Um, talk a little bit about how that is, um, you know, part of the effect and, and what we can do about that. So, you know, it's true. Like you said, we have we have a lot, we have a whole microbiome, right? Um, and that includes bacteria. It includes actually yeast and some fungal elements. It includes viruses. And all of those things are part of us. They're part of human humans. They were here way before we were here. Yeah. And, you know, when we develop, we have these resident creatures that exist in certain areas of our body. I mean, we actually do have things all over our skin, but when we think of where do we have a large microbiota, it's in you know our sinuses, nasal cavities, our mouth, but definitely in our GI tract, specifically our colon, lower GI tract. Um, so we have this resident sort of community that we're symbiotic with. So we have, they protect us, do a lot of things for us. They protect us. They communicate with our immune system. They help us extract certain things from our food. They help us make neurotransmitters. I mean, they just, they help us with hormone production and breakdown. I mean, it's just amazing, right? So we, we want to try to preserve their health as much as possible. And this is where, you know, sort of modern human life has really dealt us a bad hand yeah. because so much of what we do, not only our own behaviors, which is sort of the only thing that we can control, but the environment that we live in too, which we have partial control over, that also can harm that balance of the microbiome and make it weaker so that all of those, you know, 
functions can become you know, not so efficient. Uh, but in particular, our immune um, cells, you know, get the a pretty bad hand in that. So, you know, when I talk to people about sort of improving or balancing their immune system, one of the things we do focus on a lot is what is the health of your total body terrain? Yes, terrain. I love that word. Total body terrain. Um, and a lot of that, you know, we, we can do a lot about. Sure. So talk to me a little bit about some of the things that in our environment, we don't necessarily have control over, yet mm -hmm. what we do for ourselves and mm -hmm. in our own world can mitigate some of that. Tell me a little bit about the things in the environment. What are some of the examples that? Yeah. So, you know, our immune system reacts to a lot of things, not just pathogens. We have inflammatory responses to other things that our body perceives as dangerous. So some big ones, of course, are toxins, you know, environmental toxins. So it could be heavy metals like mercury, which is found in a lot of the fish that we eat. Some people have mercury in their amalgam fillings that you know, I have a few that leak out. But there's other, you know, things that can be in your water supply. There can be arsenic. There can be lead. You know, we have a lot of lead in the old houses here in Philadelphia. You know, we just saw a few years ago what happened in Flint, Michigan. Mm -hmm. you know, those poor children that um, were literally poisoned by by lead yeah. from pipes. Yeah. Been there for, gosh, a century or so. Yeah. So water supply, pollutants from the air, things that we slather on our skin. I mean, that's one of the biggest, probably in the last 50 years or more that we've had such an uptick in is, you know, a really poorly regulated chemical industry that doesn't have to, doesn't have to say it's not regulated, not regulated at all, yeah. pretty much anything, as long as it's, you know, not poison or it's not like, you know, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to kill you instantly. It's okay. But if it I think there's about, yeah, I think there's about 80 ingredients that they won't allow in products in the U.S. compared to like, you know, thousands in other Europe, countries. Europe, it's I think 1,500 and counting that they will not allow. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about, you know, we're like serious human guinea pigs and we have this false sense of safety that and a lot of people don't understand this. They think, well, they can't put that in there if it's poison. Oh, yes, they can. Oh, sure they can. Yeah. So, yeah. And our skin is a wonderful absorptive organ, right? Like we absorb, you know, it's so anything you put on your skin, anything you put in your mouth uh, can absorb in and uh, whether it's a chemical um, organic toxin or something like a heavy metal or something, the body is going to react to that yeah. in an immune way because a lot of those things are damaging. They cause DNA damage. They cause what we call oxidative stress. Sure. Um, so that sort of is going to make our body constantly sort of working on trying to repair tissue Lame. and detoxify um, that stuff from the liver. So it makes our liver work even harder than it has to because we're always detoxifying 24 seven, sure. but it's just that extra burden. So I think that people don't really understand how much of a burden that is on their immune system. Total toxic burden, yeah. Total toxic load, total toxic burden. I was talking to someone a couple of years ago who um, worked for the, and I'm in Ohio, the Ohio Department of Health. Um, and he was um, 
particularly working on uh, the water safety and how clean Lake Erie is. And I just happened to run into this person. I don't know him. And he was talking about how, how much cleaner the lake is and how it's okay to eat the fish out of the lake. And I, I said, you know, we started talking about the total toxin burden on your body because it's not just that one thing. Right. But sure, you could have, you know, a fish. And if that's the only toxin that you were exposed to, it might be okay, right? The levels are low enough. But that's not the case. I mean, we're a lot of things. And short of making people really nervous, like we are going to talk about how you can manage that, right? But you could go on ewg.org and find out lots of information about you know, what's out there and what are good things that you can use as products and good things. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I agree that, you know, we can go overboard with many things in our lives and get paranoid about things. And that's not, that's not what I try to tell people. I say, look at what your biggest exposures might be. Like, do you have, you know, just take a day or a couple of, or a weekend and go through all your cabinets mm -hmm. and, you know, pull out, pull out what you're, you have, and then look at a list from EWG and, you know, sort of, of the biggest things, the biggest uh, human toxicants yeah. and think like, can I use something else? Like, you know, can I get rid of this, you know, like Mr. Clean, not, you know, nothing against Mr. Clean as a company, <laughs> but like, can I get rid of this thing that has like right. tons of fragrance and all these like, you know, sort of horrible chemicals. And can I use something that's a little bit better for not only me, but also like the environment, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. You know, it, 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 it can be like small baby steps, you know, little, little bit, little bit. Otherwise it does get overwhelming. Yeah. Which we can get over. But I also know that there are people that you have worked with particularly too, that have been at, at some place where their toxic load was, was large and they've been able to move away from that yeah. and, and change the way their body's responding to things. So yeah, I always tell people start with deodorant. That's the first thing. If we put it on every day, most people use deodorant. That's your first thing to start with. Yeah, like what do you do? What do you put on every day? Like if you can pick like the eight or whatever products that you put on your body every single day. Yeah. Look at those things. You know, don't worry about the the grout cleaner that you use once a year. <laughs> and the great thing about ewg.org is that they have that healthy living app that you can just scan the UPC code and find out great information about what you have in your house. And I always recheck things because products change. They do. Yeah. Which is, you know, surprising, but it does happen. Like they change and their rating of it has changed and you mm -hmm. kind of have to reevaluate. But yeah, start simple. I think that makes a big yep. um, difference. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of the environmental stuff. But then if we think about, um, you know, what lifestyle type thing, mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about lifestyle and how that affects um you know, you mentioned the microbiome mm -hmm. and, you know, the big buzzword is gut, gut microbiome. Um, that is, you know, lots of people know what that is, but there's other microbiomes that are important in our bodies as well. So, um, you know, one of them that comes to mind is the oral microbiome, which mm -hmm. I don't know that um, most people are, are really aware of as much as the gut microbiome, but talk about a little bit of that and how the gut and the brain and the you know, mm -hmm. lifestyle factors influence your immune system. Yeah, I mean, you know, many of us don't look back on our own history and sort of evaluate maybe what our gut microbiome might look like because not everybody's had a stool test, you know, like a good stool test. Right. 
that evaluates all the DNA of your microbiome. And, and then the other thing about those stool tests is that some are really good quality, some are not so good quality. So it depends on the lab, which yeah. we won't get into, but right, right. You know, for most people, they would assume that, well, if my gut microbiome is off or imbalanced, that would mean that I would have to have symptoms of inflammatory bowel disease, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, burping, whatever. Now, there's a tremendous amount of people who do have that yep. and never think anything of it. They think, oh, I have oh, acid reflux. It's because I'm drinking coffee or something like that, which is, well, is just never, right. It's almost never the case entirely, right? How many people do you have that just say, well, my father had this, my mother had this, my aunts and uncles, and you think, well, you probably all have the same lifestyle stuff right. going on. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really, really normalized. That's the problem. And quite honestly, we were not created to have abnormal bowel function. Yeah, no. Like we're supposed to have like really good bowel function and we're not supposed to have acid reflux or yeah. anything like that. So, you know, if you if you think about that, so if you have any of those symptoms, you know, relatively frequently, we know that something's off. But also for people who don't necessarily have symptoms, what other issues are going on with them? Do they have fatigue? Do they have brain fog? Do they have rashes? Things like that. And then also just looking back at their history, like you might have to ask your mom and dad if they're still alive, right? Like, was I breastfed? Mm -hmm. Was I a C-section? Um, when I was a baby, did I have ear infections? Did I, do you remember that I had to get antibiotics? and actually start adding up how many antibiotics that you've had. A lot of people say, oh, I've never, I'm not really on antibiotics. But then when I actually ask them, okay, have you ever, have you ever had a urinary tract infection? Oh yeah, I've had like maybe four or five. Mm -hmm. okay. So you have probably had an antibiotic for that. Yeah. How many ear infections? How many times, how many times did you take the Z-Pack? Because a lot of people don't know that's an antibiotic. Right, right, right. Like, right. A miracle vitamin or something <laughs> like how many times have you had a Z-Pack? How many times have you been treated for bronchitis, ear infections, sinusitis, skin infections, like the gamut, right? And when they really start adding it up, it's like, oh yeah, maybe like 25 times in my lifetime. And I'm like, okay, that that's like really, really, really significant because one course of a broad spectrum antibiotic can really imbalance your microbiome significantly in your gut and elsewhere. And if you're not sort of working to really replete that, it's just like, it just ratchets down and down and down. And over time we have a very narrow uh, microbiome that has a lot of overgrowths, a lot of undergrowth, some species actually missing. And so we get into a lot of dangerous territory. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would say that's a lot of people don't realize it because they might not have obvious gastrointestinal symptoms. Mm -hmm. But when I look at their gut, you know, microbes, it's a mess. Right, right. And and I, I agree with what you're saying, like things have become normalized. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people minimize things um, and don't pay and just think this is just my life. This is who right. I am. This is how I how I operate. I just kind of keep going. And, and mm -hmm. you know, when they've stopped to think about it um, and really consider their immune system, which, you know, in this, in this world of COVID right now, I think it's just so important to really consider all those other factors. You may not have a chronic illness, but there are other things that are underlying that put you at a higher risk. Um, so thinking about that, um, talk a little bit about the oral microbiome. I, I, 
super interested in just kind of the connection with that as well. Yeah, so it's different, different species than the micro or the microbiota, I guess, in the gut, but it is connected, right? I mean, our mouth is connected to our esophagus, connected to our stomach, you know, so we do have this, um, you know, relationship, but we have different bacteria that are, we have more what we call anaerobic bacteria, which are things that can exist without oxygen. We have things that also can help us break down food, um, you know, somewhat. We have things that also, because this is an entryway for pathogens, right? Like, think about it. Where do we get infections? Where do we, you know, like we eat, right? So we get foodborne illness, right? From food poisoning or things like that. Um, everything we eat has bacteria on it. I love, you know, think about that but it's true right yum we put in our hands and our mouths we've yeah. got um and then everything we breathe in through the mouth or even through the nose is going to go pass through that oral cavity mm-hmm. so we have to have a good balanced oral microbiota mm-hmm. and you know a lot of research that's coming out and again i'm not a I'm not a specialist with this but mm-hmm. this connection between the health of the bacteria that are in our mouth, especially the ones in our, uh, around our gums, and um, you know when we get things like uh, root canals and things like that. Anytime we have sort of surgery in the mouth, yeah. those if we end up having to take antibiotics and stuff, we can get overgrowths of more pathogenic, dangerous bacteria that can cause inflammation. And if you think about it, if you look, if you just go Google, you know a sort of sagittal view, uh, x-ray or CAT scan or MRI of of the head, the skull, you're going to see your brain literally sitting right here, you know, like right starting here, right above the nose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, um, the maxillary sinus, which is right here, is basically right near the brain. And then our teeth, the roots of our teeth are growing Right right up there. So, you know, whatever is going on in our mouth can cause inflammatory responses literally right to our brain. So, you know, a lot of things with behavior, dementia, brain fog, um, you know, can be very much associated with the health of our teeth. So if we have periodontal disease or deep-seated infections that we don't know about or old root canals that still have a lot of bacteria in them that can really affect us over time. Yeah. So yeah. That's a big field. I think that we're going to hear more and more about, and there's a couple of people out there that are specialists some dental specialists that um, I think are doing a lot of cool stuff in that field. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I think the, the next horizon for the microbiome. <laughs> oh, I think so um, too. And so, so some practical ideas, what are some of the tools besides brushing your teeth, obviously, um, or flossing? I mean, there's a couple other things that you could do um, to, you know, make sure that the health of your oral microbiome is, is um, good going to the dentist, right? Yeah. I mean, I think going to the dentist, I think um, there are some um, better sort of antimicrobial sort of mouthwashes that you can use. There's one, now I'm blanking on the name. I actually use it. Ah. I think it's called Desert. I can't remember. 
but it's um it's got some sort of nat more natural antimicrobials in it so it doesn't it's not chemical okay. uh, it doesn't necessarily wipe out um you know all the bacteria in your mouth yeah. there's things like that you can do just being really mindful of things like you know getting things put in our mouth you know um, a lot of people go quickly to get procedures done and i think sometimes that can be problematic sure. um, i think also just taking care of you know being very mindful about when you do take broader spectrum antibiotics right so you know i mean that's with any microbiome including like vaginal microbiome bladder microbiome but the more broader spectrum antibiotic that we take for whatever reason is going to systemically get into the bloodstream so it doesn't stay in one place there's very few antibiotics that stay just in the gut right. um, they get through the whole bloodstream so they can affect your oral microbiome as well i mean think about it if you have a tooth infection your dentist is not giving you a tincture to put on that tooth you're taking right. the oral antibiotic that you swallow which is going to affect your whole body yeah so really being careful about not doing that and if people have to, is there is there a way, is there something else that can balance that out? If you have to take an antibiotic because something's going on, because sometimes that does happen, um, what would you recommend people do? Is there probiotics you should be taking? Is there? Yeah, you know, it, it's, um, I think definitely um, you want to, I think most people need probiotics. And, you know, there's some science saying like, you know, some of the benefit of probiotics can come even when the probiotic is partially dead. You know, I think that most of us are playing with, you know, half a deck. So um, <laughs> because of, you know, what we're exposed to and how we grew up and et cetera, et cetera. So I think most of us need a probiotic. Um, and certainly if you do take an antibiotic, you should start one right after you finish to make sure that you are, you know, covering for anything that uh, the body, the antibiotic might've killed. Right. And the other thing with that is you want to make sure that you're getting a lot of prebiotic fibers because as you know, you can't, you can't make a bacteria stay in your, uh, in your colon. It won't take up residence unless it has food to eat, unless it's a vent friendly environment. Right. So, you know, there's a whole slew of different prebiotic fibers that we can get most naturally through food. Yeah. And we are a very, very fiber deficient country for sure. Oh, we definitely I are. I mean, like really fiber deficient yeah. compared to a lot of other um, societies and countries where we're probably near the bottom. Yeah. Um, and uh, our bacteria eats fiber. That's how they survive. It's not like they're, they're actual creatures. They need food. And they tend to do really well with a very varied uh, amount of plant fibers. Um, so I think that's super crucial. And the key word there, you said varied, because I think that um, so often, this is one of the things I see with so many people that they just get stuck in this rut of eating the same, 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 yeah. same, same, right? And diversity. Right, or they take like Benafiber or something. Which, you know. <laughs> yeah, so things, you know, prebiotic fibers, um, Give me some examples of some foods that you would say are off the bat, you know, top things for people to eat. Yeah. Well, pretty much any 
any vegetable, right? But I mean, if you if you really wanted to think about the um, different kinds of fibers, so um, the allium family is great if you tolerate them, and uh, usually if you don't tolerate them, you have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. things like onions and leeks and garlic. Um, other things would be cruciferous vegetables, cabbages, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, um, a lot of um, starchy vegetables. So um, plantains, wonderful, wonderful, uh, great starchy um, tuber. Uh, and that's not a tuber, but a, a, there are tubers that are really good. So different kinds of potatoes, sweet potatoes, even certain kinds of rices. So you know, even though white rice may not be the uh, oh. most nutrient dense food, right? <laughs> um, there are other rices that can be really good, um, you know, like black rice, purple, potatoes yeah. that can be good, like purple potatoes, um, you know, jicama, lots of like those kinds of things too. Really, really good. And then there's a lot of, surprisingly, a lot of fruits that are great, like raspberries, blueberries, um, avocado actually has a ton of fiber in it. You don't even think about it. Great. Yeah. People always ask me if avocado has protein. <laughs> I don't know why so many people think avocado is like a protein, but you know why? Because it's uh, it's it's um, it's loved by the Paleolithic world. So oh, wow. they think everything has protein in it. And you know, obviously it has some trace protein, but it's that's not yeah, as big. It's not as big. Fat. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you know, and anyone you can go online and just download, like get from a couple different sources good sources right um what are the fruits and vegetables that have the most fiber in them oh and i i forgot grains of course because i'm not an anti-grain person you can get a ton of wonderful um wonderful fibers from different grains and but all of these different plants have different makeups of their fiber some of them have like a lot of resistant starches and um, soluble fiber and insoluble fiber and we like our bacteria loves that because different bacteria like different ratios of fiber. So it's like you want to eat different things. Yeah. So then diversity of your food intake creates diversity of the organisms and bacteria in your gut. Absolutely. You know, diversity makes you stronger because if all you have is one or two strains, mm -hmm. they get killed off, bam, you've got nothing, right? So yeah. More diversity. It's I think there's a great um, so in, the Institute for Functional Medicine has a and I don't know if it's accessible to the public, but I'm sure you could probably Google this and find it too. But they had a wonderful uh, handout that was Eat from the Rainbow. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I found it helpful, but you know, and I would put it sometimes on my fridge, and yep. you know, it would remind me like white vegetables, like mushrooms, right? Like you want like phytonutrient rich foods, but also, when you do that, you're not only getting different phytonutrients or plant pigments, but you're also getting different fibers. So it's like a, you can really use it for both because when you eat from the rainbow and you're getting purple and red and green and, you know, whatever colors, you're also getting different fiber content too. Yeah. And I think uh, Dr. Deanna Minnick, she, she posts a lot of that. I mean, that's her. I think that is probably from her. So you might be able to find it on her site. She's got some really cool stuff about eating the rainbow and also the rainbow and emotions and just connects the rainbow with everything. So she's a really good resource. Who doesn't love a rainbow, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, we could keep going forever, I feel like. Um, yeah, one yeah. of the things I think um, 
too, I, you know, you get a lot of questions between, um, I always have people asking me, well, are we going to do food sensitivity testing and, you know, allergies and food sensitivities and, and that sort of thing when people start pulling things out of their diet and not wanting to eat certain things or responding to different right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah. The allergy sensitivity. Yeah. So I get a lot of, um, obviously, questions about that. Yeah. And I do use food sensitivity testing. I find it very helpful. Mm-hmm. However, it is not the first thing that you're going to do. No. Yeah. Because most people, when they come in with gastrointestinal issues or rashes or things like that, you have to do the fundamental things first. You have to look at the stuff that, that you counsel patients about a lot, which is what's your sleep like, right? What's your stress level like? You have to get all of those things, those really fundamental things um, short up before you even start thinking about like the rest of your body being out of balance. Because, you know, it is not going to help you to get a food sensitivity test that shows a bunch of food sensitivities because you have leaky gut and you don't do anything else except for take out, you know, these actually probably very healthy foods, but at this point your body is reacting to them because the rest of your life is a mess, right? You're stressed right. out, you're drinking 10 <laughs> cups of coffee a day, you drink a bottle of wine a night, you know, yeah. whatever. You sleep yeah. six hours, right? Um, you know, you take ibuprofen like it's a vitamin. You know, <laughs> all of that stuff needs to completely change. And then you have to look at, well, what kind of condition is my gut in? And do I need to work on healing the barrier first? Mm-hmm. At that point, it can be helpful to use food sensitivity testing because there may be some lingering things that your body, your immune system, right, has developed an ant, you know, antibodies to um, the proteins of those foods that, you know, you're continuing to eat and it might be impeding your progress of healing. So that's when we would use it. Yeah. It's not the type of thing that you take out forever. It's the type of thing you might take out for three to six months working with a nutritionist and then you know, either retesting or slowly reintroducing again. So it's really helpful when things are just like something's not right. Um, you're having really horrible symptoms when you do eat and you're not sure what it is. Yeah. But you don't want to go to the point that you, first of all, think that if you take out these certain foods, you're going to be miraculously healthy. Well, because sometimes it's all the foods that people are eating, right? Like they're all like, ah, I got to take out all this stuff. This is what I eat all the time. Well, it is what you eat all the time. Right. Because they're, because they're, you know, they have intestinal permeability. So the foods that they're eating all the time, which could be really healthy foods are leaking across, you know, sort of activating their immune system to create these, these antibodies. And so all of a sudden, you know, their celery or their kale or their, tofu or whatever they're eating, the chicken and the egg <laughs> is causing some low level inflammation. So, yeah. So let's kind of link back to some of the lifestyle factors that you talked about. You talked a little bit about leaky gut, which is, you know, a, a permeable impermeab- or permeability of your, your gut lining. And that's where things leak up into your bloodstream, but how do lifestyle factors affect your gut? I mean, how does stress and sleep and you know, yeah. no nutrition a little bit more, but stress, sleep, physical activity, or too much physical activity. Yeah. How do those affect it? So, you know, our intestinal cells are, um, you know, they constantly have to be sort of repaired and turned over. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are sensitive to physical and emotional stress. So 
you know, cortisol, which is one of our stress hormones. I mean, we have other ones, right? But it's the one that we secrete when we have, you know, and we always create it all day long in a normal circadian rhythm, but when we are in a stressful event, or even if we perceive something stressful. So for example, right now, it's a perfect example, people sitting at home, scared about COVID, watching the news, um, you know, forecasting catastrophic events, worrying about money, you know, having all these sort of things that haven't happened necessarily to them, but they're, they can create the same physical response and their cortisol goes up and cortisol does a lot of different things. But one of the things that it does is initially over time, it act, I mean, initially it actually can sort of slightly upregulate your immune system, but over time it causes a dampening effect. And so we start to have problems with our protective mucosal antibody, which is IgA. So we actually start that, see that decline. Mm -hmm. uh, we can see um, slowing in some of the um, adaptive immunity cells and sort of like their activities like macrophages. Mm -hmm. We can see problems with innate immunity. So um, some of, uh, I want to say decreased efficiency of T cells and things. So over time, it can actually make us, make our um, immune system sort of weak and because the IgA is lining our gut mucosa, it can actually sort of allow things to come in, right? Okay. So we know that. And we also know that things like excessive exercise, um, so people who, um, you know, might go out and do really long, vigorous workouts when they are not, and they're not resting in between, mm -hmm. that can actually increase uh, the intestinal permeability. Yeah. And sleep as well, because when we sleep, we do so much repair. Oh, so yeah. when we're short um, changing ourselves, we're not, we, our immune system is not allowed to really like repair itself and our cell turnover is not as good. Mm -hmm. So that again, um, increases inflammation chronically in the body, which of course can affect the gut too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so many things that, that people can do just kind of on their own thinking about, um, you know, sleep making sure you get optimal sleep, um, the stress load. And, and we talk about stress in terms of, um, you know, I always have people minimizing stress. Well, you know, I don't, my house is, you know, not on the, you know, not going into um, foreclosure and I still have my job and mm -hmm. people minimize and don't realize that the small little stressors, chronic stressors on a daily basis and maybe mm -hmm negative thinking and things like that are a big part of what can affect that. It doesn't have to be this huge stress um, experience. It's the chronic stressors and not having something that's an outlet for that, right? Um, so what kind of things do you recommend for people in terms of stress? Yeah, well, I think that the chronic stressors, the little stressors are actually the worst, mm -hmm. right? Because you know, are actually, there is this concept of, you know, intermittent stress actually being good for us. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, it's almost like strengthening a muscle. It allows us to become more resilient and have more grit. Yeah. Um, and that's why things like, you know, taking a cold shower or doing a plunge, right. That's sort of stressful for the body or maybe doing a hit workout or something like that. Um, but it's that little tiny unrelenting stress that sometimes isn't even existing, but it's like, you know, that's why I bring up the things about watching the news is 
know, people could say like, well, you know, my life is pretty good and I don't have a lot of you know, things going on, but then like all day long, all they're doing is bringing like negative worrisome thoughts into their brain constantly. So the first thing I say is, um, take a digital detox, you know, like turn off the damn news. Mm-hmm. You can still be educated and aware of what's going on in the world without feeding yourself TV and you know, whatever, scrolling social media all day long. Yeah. We were never meant to exist like that. Right. And we have not um, evolved to really be able to handle that. So that's the first thing is turn off the news and, um, you know, sort of reconnect to something else. So that's number one. Absolutely. And then um, I would say that, you know, not everybody is, um, you know, people talk about doing meditation, which of course I'm a big fan of, but, you know, you don't have to necessarily meditate. You can just take time for yourself and you could do something creative. Like, so creativity is a great outlet and decreases, we know it decreases stress and increases endorphins. So doing something creative, whether it's painting, writing, reading, putting something together, just doing something that allows like another part of your brain to, to work and for you to get into like the zone, it could be cooking, baking, yeah. gardening, whatever, right? That's great. Um, so stuff like that, I think is really important. I mean, if you can do five to 10 minutes, it doesn't have to be a lot of meditation. Mantra meditation, you can do a body scan, or you can just do some breathing exercises for a minute a day. So those are things that anyone can fit in, and you can, you know, do them every day. You can do them right before bed. You can get do them right before you get out of bed. You can fit it in if you're not um, watching the news twenty four seven, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, People are very resistant to it, I think, because um, people are addicted to adrenaline. We have a, a, a huge addiction problem when it comes to um, that feeling, that yeah. sort of dopamine, adrenaline feeling, um, which is really health, unhealthy because over time that is going to really deplete you but really sort of harm other systems in the body. So it's um, being able to like slow down. Um, That's so hard, isn't it? I mean, how many people do we interact with and know that, just go, 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 and think if I slow down, because I was there, that was me, right? Yeah. Ah, just go, 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 go. Um, but, you know, they think that if I slow down, I'm not going to be the person that I should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think it is really true. Like, it's a, you know, I remember reading a study about, um, I was young, like college students, that they took their phones away mm. for like, I don't know, it was 24 hours or something. And literally, they had symptoms of um, withdrawal, wow. like anxiety, panic, wow. because they were so used to that constant, like, refreshing of, like, you know, constantly their brain being pinged with information. And mm-hmm. um, I think I can't remember who it was sort of said that they, you know, when they designed the whole scrolling mechanism it's very much akin to a uh, slot machine. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. This sense of like, all right, what's the next thing? Okay. Well that didn't, you know, I'm I'm bored with that. What's the next thing I'm bored with that. So that constant new information and because the way that it spikes our dopamine in our brain, Mm -hmm. 
we become addicted to it just like a person, I mean, not exactly how they'd be addicted to a drug or, but to shopping, yeah. to TV, to, to whatever it is, right? It's like that, it's the same thing. And so people who cannot shut themselves down, it might take a few weeks, right? To really yeah. start retraining your brain. Yeah. But on the other side of that is, is really this sense of um, a little more calm that you start oh to be invading your body and you feel like you start to crave that you start to crave yeah. the calm and the quiet and sleep is better yeah. is better there's so much more anxiety now with people yeah. that are so hyper connected to mm-hmm. not each other but you know to technology yeah. um there's so much more of that going on and if that we could just switch that off um, and i hear this all the time i hear it from clients oh, say yeah. you know I feel so much calmer now. Like Mm -hmm. I, I cut this out. I've cut this out. And I know this, like, I don't, my anxiety is not as bad. I'm happier. Yeah. I think one of the good little way to just kind of sort of step into that a little bit is first thing in the morning, like make a rule. Don't pick up your phone for 30 minutes or even an hour if you can. And that can be hard, but it can also be such an intentional, beautiful way to start your morning. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lock it, lock it up, put it in a, lock it up. people might have to put it in like a safe box, you know, with a lock right. and just, you know, like you can't take it out for half an hour. Somebody else has the key, right? I that might like be the your credit card, right? I mean, how right. they say, put it in a block of ice. Can't be hyper-connected. So we talked about nutrition. We've talked about stress a bit. Um, let's just do a little bit about sleep. Um, what are some good ideas and tips around sleep? Because Um, you know, the stress piece, if you're handling the stress piece, sleep is definitely going to be better. If you're doing some good nutrition stuff, sleep is going to be better, but ultimately like there are some really good things we can do with sleep. Yeah. So, you know, we have like a terrible sleep epidemic right now. People, so many people have insomnia and, you know, and these are not necessarily people who are working the night shift or anything. Right. Right. No, definitely. So again, the biggest thing is probably technology. I mean, that's the thing that has changed our lives so much is artificial light mm-hmm. and technology. But even, you know, even let's just say 25 years ago, I mean, I never, you know, when I was a kid, you know, yes, we had uh, you know, fluorescent bulbs or, or incandescent bulbs in, in my lights, but, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have this, I didn't have I didn't have an iPad, I didn't have any, any computer. So, you know, there was no artificial blue light coming into my eyes Mm -hmm. with the exception of what came from a light bulb. Right. So we know that one of the the things that sets our circadian rhythm is light and dark. Mm -hmm. So the absence of light, presence of dark. And the reason is because it's actually a hormonal change. You know, it's, you know, our sleep is is you know, regulated by um, by daylight and, and by night. So, you know, when we when we shut all this stuff off and we're in total darkness, our hormones actually completely change. So we have a drop in our cortisol. We have an increase in our melatonin. Melatonin is actually an immune regulator. A lot of people think of it as like a sleep aid. Yeah, it's that not is a sleep aid. Okay, it's not a sleep aid. Um, it's a hormone that we secrete from a gland that does help us regulate uh, sleep and dark. But one of the things that it does is it tells our immune system what to do while we sleep. 
So, you know, so many of us are short shifting our melatonin. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're having this later onset because we're, we have light exposure that to this blue spectrum light and the blue spectrum light shuts down your melatonin completely. The other thing is it does is it allows your cortisol to go up. And if you're reading something, like if you're looking through the New York Times or whatever, CNN, you know, at 930 at night when you're getting ready for bed, you're going to be thinking about this disturbing stuff or stuff that's like activating your brain. And um, so you have the combination of that, increasing your cortisol, the blue light, decreasing your melatonin. You're going to lie there in bed like, I can't fall asleep. Right, right. Or with me, I need a drug. Right. Or you're so exhausted, you know, you do fall asleep, but you have like the residual, you know, thoughts and panics that you wake up a few hours later. And so, you know, number one thing I tell people is you must have an hour. You must have an hour that you are not looking into any electronic device. And that would include TV. Mm -hmm. But so many people sit in their beds and watch Netflix on their computer. I know. I know. You should not ever watch TV in your bedroom. I don't believe in TVs and bedrooms. I'm completely against them. I don't care what people say about, oh, it helps me put me to sleep. It doesn't. It really doesn't. I mean, people, that's an illusion. That's really it's an illusion that people have. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it's scientifically proven wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> we have the science to prove it. I'll show you the study. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you're a person who needs a little bit of white noise or something, there's white noise machines. There's different things that you can do. But for the most part, you can train yourself out of that. And you will get a much better, deeper sleep and more restorative sleep, you know, if you don't have any of that. And um, so that's number one is turning off technology, getting rid of blue light. Um, so you can use, um, I'm a big fan of using the amber glasses, not just the ones that they tell you are computer glasses. That is not going to screen out the amount of yeah. blue light that you need to be screened out. You need to wear ones that actually screen out all the blue spectrum light. They look orange or amber. Um, so that's number one. Yep. You absolutely have to be with a screen. Um, you can use blockers on your screen. And then there are light bulbs actually that you can put in your uh, bedside table. That's what I have. I have the bedtime bulb. Yeah. It's actually created by one of my clients. Oh. Guy who created the, uh, the bedtime bulb. So I have that. Is it just uh, called the bedtime bulb? It's called the bedtime bulb. Okay. I'm going to sell on Amazon and other places. So. Oh, perfect. Cool. Or you can get yeah. it to your website. So that's the type of thing you want to do. And then you also want to have that hour of like, just turning, like chilling out. Like you, I always tell people, don't, don't read something disturbing. Like you're not going to read like a horror story or, or, you know, this is not the time to be engaged in stressful things. Like read a book, do something that's, you know, like do a crossword puzzle, whatever. If you want to do, um, you know, don't exercise vigorously. Like, don't get on your Peloton or your treadmill an hour before right. bed. Yeah. Do something calming. Do some yoga. Do some stretching. Um, put on some nice music. Take a bath. Have some tea. Like, that hour should be like, like, you wouldn't do that to a one-year-old child, right? Like, you want to, like, give them a book in bed. You want to, like, you know, calm them down. Give them a bottle. Like, we're like, yes. children. we need that. Create that same situation you would create for a, a little baby for yourself, right? Epsom salt baths, um, essential oils, that calming time. That's that's great. So, so the immune system is is so affected by everything that we do in our our lives from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed, and even while we're sleeping. Mm -hmm. um, 
so important to think about all the lifestyle piece. And I, you know, I think you, you kind of brought it together really nicely here with a lot of great tips for people um, and great things to think about. Hard to implement sometimes, right? I think because- I never thought it was easy, you know, because right. it's about like, you know, when you work with your clients, it's about breaking habits that have become so entrenched in our daily lives and we get on autopilot. I mean, I know I get on autopilot all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it's that being mindful of what you're doing. And also, and I know you do this, is just pick one thing, right? Like yeah. have one goal, like one little thing that you're gonna make an adjustment because it is so easy to get overwhelmed with like, mm -hmm. you know, this idea that you're gonna like completely revamp your life in, in a week. A total redo and then you crash and burn right yeah it's like saying you're going to like transform your physique and lose 50 pounds in a week i mean that that might take a year right yeah. and that's yeah. okay you well know? and that's the other piece of it you know with what you do it isn't the quick fix and i think our our society has gotten really used to conventional medicine i go in i see the doctor they give me a medication and in a couple of days i'm better mm -hmm. um you know the functional medicine and integrative medicine idea really is a mindset shift around that. It's, I have to think about how long did it take me to get where I am right now? And how long is it going to take me to retrain my body and my mind in this way that's very different? Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, you know, three to six months of something, maybe even a year. Um, sometimes you work with people even over a year. And sure. absolutely. So, so let's talk just, you know, we're going to wrap it up here because I know we're going a little long, but I mean, I can keep talking to you forever. <laughs> um, but I wanted to just give a, a sense of what you do with your clients, how they can find you, um, where you are, um, and, you know, who you might work with potentially. Yeah, so I work, I mean, I work with a variety of patients. I work with adults, so um, 18 and over. And I would say that most people that I work with have, um, they either have immune issues, for example, they may have problems with autoimmune disease. I'd say that's probably one of the biggest reasons why people come in. And it could be various autoimmune diseases. It could be thyroid disease, it could be rheumatoid arthritis, it could be MS, it could be, you know, a variety of different things. Some people have more than one. Yeah. Um, and then chronic gastrointestinal issues, which is probably the other one. They often coincide and overlap. So IBS and, and Crohn's and reflux and things like that. And then mood issues. So anxiety and mild depression, um, you know, which of course goes along with gut issues too and fatigue. So those are sort of like the biggest things. I mean, you know, anyone... I, I mean, I do have people that come to see me that just say, you know, I've just let myself go or, you know, I've had a situation over the past five years that, you know, I had a bunch of traumas. I went through some bad times. I, you know, got sick, you know, I was, you know, got food poisoning or I had this or that. And then, you know, my life sort of unraveled from there. Now I'm, now I'm tired. I don't have any energy. I've gained weight, I've got all these, you know, nagging aches and pains. And I just, I want to get back to basics. I want to find out like, how can I be healthier? How can I, you know, how can I improve my energy? How can I improve my gut health? How can I sort of 
ensure myself that I'm doing what I can to have a long, healthy life, right? So you don't have to be, I always tell people you don't have to be, you know, like sick with some exotic disease um, <laughs> to see a functional medicine specialist. In fact, um, right. I prefer working with sort of average people who just yeah. like feel that they want to maximize or optimize their health. And um, so it's really something that's open, um, open to anyone. I mean, you know, when I started this practice, I know a lot of functional medicine doctors have, you know, a story about their health that they, you know, were really sick for some reason. And I didn't really have that. I, I would say that I was sort of in that camp of stressed out, you know, gained some weight, my skin was sort of breaking out, I had a little heartburn, I was like, you know, just sleeping five and six hours and I, you know, sleep. Yeah. And, um, and I knew that if I sort of continued on that road, that it was not going to be good. So, you know, I didn't have some big um, health crisis, but for me, it was like, I, you know, that is a long time and be healthy. I want to age well. Yeah. So for me, that was, that was, that was huge. You know? Great. And then how do, um, how do people find you if they are interested in what you're doing? You're doing all virtual now. Yeah. So we're virtual, you know, as of now, and who knows what's, what'll happen going forward. So we are accessible. Um, so people can look me up at the modaycenter.com. It's really simple. And um, they can also Google functional medicine, Philadelphia, cause that will come up first. Oh, awesome. Nice. So find that. Yes. Good SEO. And then they can also follow me on Instagram at the immunity MD. And, you know, I post there pretty regularly and do some videos and things like that. So some great content there for sure. I think that's really helpful for people. So that's a good way to keep in touch. And um, I'll be having, I'm, I'm going to be ramping up my video game soon. So hopefully have Ooh. some more series that are more sort of immune focused. As okay, well. great, great. And You've got some big work in front of you. You are um, in the process of writing a book, right? I wrote a book, and um, you know it's 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 a lot, <laughs> um, and I have to get it done pretty quickly. So um, you know, uh, but it's exciting. It's a big yeah. challenge for me, and you know we are predicting it will be coming out in late twenty twenty one. Great. You know. Okay. Books take that long to yeah, they do. They do. To get in and, and published and whatnot. So yeah, we're hoping for December 2021 and that's the goal. So I'm sure sometime in the spring, I will be uh, talking a lot more about that and oh, what it's all about and um, what people can expect. But. Well, I know I could have you back on the podcast again because there are- I'll come back in the spring. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Come back in the spring and there's so much more to dig into, I know. Um, this has been great. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time out to do this and sharing your knowledge. You've got a vast knowledge of immunology as well as functional medicine and lifestyle medicine, which I think is so critically important right now. I don't think it's, it's talked about enough. Um, it isn't just a vaccine we're looking for. We need to make ourselves healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks, Karen. And uh, it's great working with you. Yeah, I absolutely. Love you. <laughs> They love working with you. It's like, yeah. It's, it's oh, really well, I love working with your, your patients. You have some great people that, that come to your practice. So it's really a lot of fun. All right. 
That's a wrap on the first episode of the Full Capacity Living Podcast. Thanks for joining me, and I hope this conversation provided some insight and tools to help you wherever you are in your health journey. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it, review it, and maybe hit the subscribe button to stay on top of our upcoming shows. This podcast was sponsored by Karen Bush Functional Medicine Health Coaching. Check us out at karenbush.com for more information and the show notes for this podcast. Thanks. Have a great day.